Hey, this is Aaron Morrison, Master of Mindset and Personal Development Expert. And if you want to build world-class communication skills, you need to listen to the Art of Communication podcast with my excellent friend, Greg Rice. Welcome to the Art of Communication, where entrepreneurs learn to grow their business more effectively through mastering their ability to connect to others. Whether you're looking to increase revenue, widen your network, or just getting others to buy into your vision, we'll help you dramatically transform your business and life by communicating more effectively, improving your leadership skills, and reinvesting time back into your family. You're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and your life. So let's start the conversation with your host, Greg Rice. Hey guys, today I'm talking with Aaron Morrison, the Mindset Disruptor. Aaron is the founder of Wildfire Dynamics, where he helps others to unlock the unlimited potential that's living within them and overcome some of the biggest challenges in their lives. He's also an NLP master communicator. And we get into a number of fascinating topics, including how to get into the learning state, which is a very powerful place to be to help you learn and remember things more effectively. He shares some ninja moves for building strong rapport quickly and powerfully. And we go really deep around body language and and how to read it and what different things mean. So this is really a must-listen episode if you want to become a better in-person communicator. Aaron, thank you for joining us on the Art of Communication podcast. Really excited to have you on today. Thanks, man. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, looking forward to going deep around the topic of NLP and listening and communicating and motivating others and changing frames of mindsets and all that fascinating stuff. Um, I think it's going to be a great conversation, but I'd love for you to just kind of start off by telling me and the audience a little bit about what NLP is as kind of a backdrop for our conversation. Okay. So NLP stands for Neuro Linguistic Programming which basically is the language of the mind and how that relates to our processes and the way that we do the things that we do and how we get the results that we get. So Tony Robbins is someone that people are, most people are familiar with and NLP is a big part of what he does. And he calls NLP the science of achievement and the art of fulfillment. So it literally is, I mean, you can't do anything without, some of the principles of NLP being involved in it, whether you know it or not. Cool. Yeah. So Tony Robbins, really, really powerful figure, obviously. Uh, Big focus of his is kind of transformation. You hear about all these transforming stories. Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear from you of anything that you've kind of witnessed in person of how NLP has really been able to transform somebody's life. Oh, man. Uh, Okay. Well, I'll I'll pick one story. We'll just start there. Uh, So a client calls me and they had a, a relationship quandary, right? And something wasn't going well on a date that they were on recently. And they were going, I don't know what's up with this. I don't know what's going on. So asking the questions, digging down to the root cause, right, of of where this problem originated and just kind of pulling at the thread, you know, just kind of following it wherever it went. What we identified was at four years old, they had formed a belief that they're not in control. And so we did a quick release technique and uh, changed that limiting belief, I'm not in control, into an empowering belief, I'm in control. And 15 minutes later, they said, wow, you've literally just changed my life. And 
followed up with them a couple of days after that to say, Hey, how's it going? And they said it, I, I don't even know. Like, I don't know what we did. I don't know what we changed, but I just, I feel differently. I think differently. I'm stepping into my power. I, I see that I am in full control of my life. I don't know why I didn't see it before, but wow. Like, I don't know. It's just awesome. So, and I, I could tell you those stories all day long. Yeah, that's fascinating. It has to feel great being able to have that kind of impact on somebody's life as well. Oh my God. Yeah. It's, it, it's, a, it's a paradigm shift, really. It's a paradigm shift in terms of what is possible. Because most of my clients, if they've been in counseling or therapy in the past, uh, they're used to a particular model of you know, care, right? And after they experience what's possible with NLP, how rapidly we can make change, they're like, oh my gosh, like you're, you, we can do this that fast. We can have this massive impact that quickly. It's like, they get all excited because they're going, what else can we do? <laughs> you know, what else can we change? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Awesome. Well, so you mentioned a couple things in that story. One was you ask questions to get to the root of the issue. So let's right. talk a little bit about how to ask questions effectively to better understand the root of any issue, right? Could be a sales conversation, could okay. be a performance review, right? How can the audience ask better questions to get at the root of things? Uh, I would say the first thing that jumps out at me is to ask how and not why. Because why gets reasons and how gets results, right? We ask, how do we do a thing? Not why did you do that thing, right? And so I think that's kind of the fundamental difference or departure where NLP kind of goes off down the different track from, you know, traditional psychotherapy and counseling is, you know, like psychologists want to understand why does the problem exist? How did we get here? Where NLP concerns itself with how do we solve the problem, right? Like, let's go study the people who have solved the problem, figure out how they did it so that we can help people with the same problem do the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, right from the very beginning, it's it's the question of how, right? Like, how do we do this thing or how specifically? And so it's like, I had a problem. Okay, tell me about the problem. Like, how is that a problem for you? You know, not why is it a problem? How is that a problem for you? And then different things that people say, different clues that they use, like words like can't or won't or don't, you know, those to me, indicate a possibility or necessity, right? If they're like, well, I should do this. Oh, really? Okay. Well, what would happen if you didn't, <laughs> you know? And so it's just exploring the alternatives, right? And so I, I think one of the, the biggest things to understand is, you know, rather than accepting the words as they are, I always examine the premise upon which the statement is based, right? It's yeah. like, I don't just accept whatever they say as truth or as reality, because it's their truth, it's their, it's their reality. But that's not the only truth or the only reality. And so I always go back to kind of deconstruct it and break it down. And that's, I think that's really powerful. And something I've always struggled with is I just have an urge to believe what they're saying and get on to whatever the next thing is or what that means without really diving into, is this what they really mean or not, right? Is this, is, do they believe what they're saying or maybe they do believe it, but is it right in deconstructing that? So that's powerful. And I know on another topic, but related, we've talked in the past about the power of body language. So I'd love to hear a little bit from your perspective on as you're asking questions, getting responses, how are you reading body language to get a feel for if they're being honest or you know, where you might want to go deeper? Tell me a little bit about that. Once you develop the ability to you read body language, right? And, and listen to the tonality 
there's not really a matter of, you know, whether you, whether they're being honest, right. It's like, they're going to tell you what they're going to tell you. You're going to be able to know, you know, what's going on. Right. So it, it's, it's not a question of that. It's, it's how open are they? Right. And I, I think how open and willing they are to share is a function of uh, my ability to get into rapport with them, my ability to empathize with them. And something that you mentioned a moment ago was, you know, listening to some, what someone says and just having the, you know, the tendency to believe what they're saying, whether it's right or not. In my model of the world, there is no right or wrong, you know? It's uh, like Shakespeare said, there is no good or bad, but thinking makes, or yeah, nothing is either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. And so to me, there's only useful and not useful, right? Does this behavior in this particular context get us closer to our objective or further away from our objective? And so just calibrating on, you know, I'm observing their eye movements. Where are their eyes going? That's telling me how are they processing information? Where in their brain are they going to access that information? I'm looking at their the the tightness of their cheeks, right? The, their skin tonus, because when people get excited, or, you know, they their skin tightens. Uh, looking at their bottom lip, you know, their bottom lip, those little creases in your bottom lip, they'll actually uh, deepen or get more shallow, right? Because you their blood flow in your bottom lip, the the you know uh, the dilation of their pupils, you know. So there, there's so many little tiny clues that are unconscious and not consciously controlled that you can tell what's going on, you know, their, their body's going to tell you, <laughs> you know, I think, uh, 55% of communication is physiological. 38% is tonal and only 7% is the words that we use. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now you mentioned kind of eye movement, right. And where their eyes are going and what that tells you about how they think and see the world. So share a little bit more about that. Like how can our folks look at other folks eye or look at other people's eyes as they're talking to them to understand how they see the world. So based on the way that you're saying, you know, how they see the world, I, I'm not sure if you're saying that because you're a visual person or if you're uh, just saying that because we're talking <laughs> about eyes. But, um, but yeah, so just you saying, you know, how do they see the world? That tells me that you're probably visually oriented. And as I'm looking at you, right, I can see your eyes going up and to the sides, right? Yep. And so people generally speaking, you know, when we're looking up, it's, it's visual. When we're looking side to side, it's auditory. And when we're looking down into the side, we're either doing self-talk, right? We're processing or we're going into our feelings and checking in with our feelings. And so the eye movements are not set in stone, right? It's the individual to whom you're speaking and what, how are they organized and how do they access and process? Because, you know, I'm sure everybody's heard, well, if they look up and to the left, they're lying, right? Which is not necessarily true. Mm -hmm. You know, looking up and to, you know, the right, yeah, that's visual construct. Up and to the left is visual recall, right? For most people, mm -hmm. unless you're reverse organized, right? Some people are flipped. And so for them, looking up and to the left is visual recall. For someone else, it's visual construct. You know, they're making pictures in their head. And so it's just you want to calibrate, right? Ask a question that they're going to know the answer to, that they're not going to be in, inclined to lie about, right? Mm -hmm. Like, for example, I'll say, tell me about your first car. And so I don't give any clues as to what kind of information I'm looking for. So I listen to that, what they tell me about. Are they telling me about how it sounded? Are they telling me about what it looked like? Are they saying how it mm -hmm. felt, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, what is the information that they choose to give me? And because I know that that's a question they're likely to tell me the truth about, watching where their eyes go, I can tell in what order they're accessing the information, 
right? And that just gives me clues about how they're processing, right? So for example, if somebody looks up and to the left, that's visual recall. And then they go to the side and that's auditory recall. And then they go down and to the left and that's kinesthetic, right? And this is, you know, as I'm, as I'm looking at them, they're looking to their left, right? Not my left, theirs. And so I'm like, all right, so they went visual, auditory, kinesthetic. And so I know that like, as I'm speaking to them, I'm going to use more visual words, right? I'm going to want to paint them a pretty picture, right? And make sure that they see, you know, see my point. Then I'm probably going to make sure that what I'm saying resonates with them and strikes a chord. And then how does it just make you try that on, see how that feels, you know, see if that's a a solid concept that you can really get your head around, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I'm going to utilize those, what we call predicates, right? uh, Visual, auditory, kinesthetic, and auditory digital or self-talk, right? I'm going to utilize those, those words, those types of words intentionally because it deepens my level of rapport with them. And it allows us to go where we need to go and get the results that we need to get. Yeah. So that's really powerful. It's a combination of reviewing their body language and their eyes in the words that they're saying and how they're describing things. And I love the idea of calibrating and building from there. I think that that's a really powerful approach. Now, you, you mentioned a whole bunch of different things we can look out for. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, when we talk about body movement and, and body language. How does somebody get good at paying attention to all that stuff in the moment? Same way you get good at anything else, you practice. <laughs> good point. <laughs> you, yeah. know, you know, it's uh, so I, I was, um, I, I walked downstairs the other day and, and my roommate was watching this show on TV. I think it was Married at First Sight. And this couple was having a, an argument and whatever. And, and so, you know, my roommate says something about the couple and the argument and whatever was going on. I looked at the TV for like two seconds and I went, yeah, that dude's checked out. He is not, he is not all in. He is thinking about his escape. And uh, sure enough, that's what happened, <laughs> you know? So it's just a matter of, you know, it is a lot, right? It is a lot. So uh, what I would encourage, uh, you know, your audience to do if they're interested in learning more, I mean, look up body language, right? Joe Navarro, he's an FBI guy. Look up eye patterns, look up predicates, all of these things, right? You can just Google search it and the information's out there. So just read it, absorb it, review it, practice it, because you can watch TV and you can tell what people are doing on TV, Right. So Mm -hmm. it's just just consciously focus on observing and identifying the little clues and the triggers and the things. And you just you build it up over time and just committing to reviewing it and getting a little bit better every day. You'll be surprised at how quickly you pick it up, because I think that we all we already all innately have the ability. Mm -hmm. Right. It's just that, you know, we get all up in our heads. And we overcomplicate things. And rather than listening to our instincts in our guts, right, we're processing and thinking about stuff all the time. So I think it's like getting the mind out of the way, right, and just trusting our instinct because our our mind is so much more powerful, right? Our unconscious mind can read these clues and pick up on these little signals. And we're just like, we got out of practice, I think, you know, so... Yeah, I think that's a great point. And we all have that innate talent and ability. It's a matter of learning how to focus our attention to be on the lookout for it is really what it comes down to. And, and yeah, practicing, you learn that. It's an practice. awareness. It's just yeah. an awareness. That's all. Once you know that it's there, 
you'll just automatically start to get better at it. So going back to the story, you mentioned we, we drilled down to a specific belief that he had. So talk a little bit about the importance of belief and mindset and frames and all those things as it relates to how we interact with the world around us. Well, that's a big conversation. <laughs> yeah, that's a big conversation. <laughs> um, so there's a, one of my mentors, David Bayer, calls it the psycho-cybernetic loop. And basically, our results are driven by our behavior. Our behavior, you know, or our actions are controlled by our feelings, right? How we feel in the moment. How we feel is controlled by our thoughts. Our thoughts are based on our beliefs. And our beliefs are basically a decision that we made about something, right? So an event occurs we decide what the meaning of that event is and that meaning that we gave that thing becomes a belief. Okay. So an example of that would be at say six years old. Okay. And this is a a client example, right? Six years old, we're on the playground trying to make friends and a bully like beats us up. Right. And so what we made that mean was, you know, not, you know, the, that kid's a jerk. You know, that kid has got some difficult things going on at home and he's just taking it out on me, right? Because he doesn't know how to express himself any other way. But I make it mean that putting myself out there means pain, right? That means I get punished when I put myself out there. And so that what that ultimately becomes is I'm in my mid-40s and I can't make myself work I go, to, I go to the office and I sit down in front of my computer because I've reached a level where my success is sustainable, but I can't force myself to go beyond that. And I don't know why, right? Mm-hmm. And it's because a six-year-old kid you know, on the playground made a decision that putting myself out there equals pain. And so my you know, 46-year-old brain is still processing putting myself out there equals pain. And that became a program or a belief that we had that we're not even thinking about anymore. It's just running in the background. And so... The whole you know, conversation around what our beliefs, ultimately what a belief is, is a decision that we made about an event, about what that event meant, right? We gave it a meaning and that meaning became the belief, right? Yeah. And that has so much impact over what we do today, right? I might knock on that door, not knock on that door to try to make that sale because of right. what happened to me when I was six years old. I might have internal biases that I don't even realize I have because of something that happened when I was six years old. I mean, it's fascinating that we don't realize what drives those beliefs and those frames of reference that, that drive our actions at the end of the day. Yeah, and I think that's an important understanding, right? An important awareness for people to have is that the overwhelming majority of the beliefs that we have and the programs that we run, we acquired before we turned seven years old, okay? Wow. So we're going to get a little bit scientific. So at seven years old, what happens is that our brain develops what's called the prefrontal cortex, right? Mm -hmm. And that is the part of our brain that allows us to differentiate between good information, bad information, we can accept or reject, okay? So before the age of seven, when we, you know, our brain develops the prefrontal cortex, we're basically little sponges absorbing all the information from our environment right? From zero to seven, what's called the imprint period. Our job is to learn how to survive and operate in our environment. And so our personality and a lot of our lives is actually already decided by the time we're seven years old, 
right? I think it was wow. the ancient Greeks that said, give me a child until they're seven and I'll show you the man, you know? So they understood the power of those first seven years. And so the overwhelming majority of the time when we are frustrated about not being able to break through the plateau, right? There, we know, you know, just kind of deep down, there's like kind of a splinter in our mind, right? Like there's something holding us back and we don't really know quite what that thing is, right? And we're searching for that answer. Every single time with every single one of my clients, it's a limiting belief that was formed before the age of seven, right? Wow. So That's fascinating. And to think about like talking to, uh, say, your leadership or a client you're trying to make a sale to, right? You're really dealing with a person who is much deeper than just a person sitting in front of you. They're the amalgamation of all the things that have happened in their lives, especially those things that happened to them before they were seven years old. If they got bullied on the playground at six, that has a direct impact on how they're interacting with you now, right? So it just just Mm -hmm. makes it so deep when you think about communicating with another person and what that really means. And that they, it could be an event that happened before they were even born that had an impact on them. Oh, wow. And explain that a little bit. Well, a lot of times. So 60% of the world believes in reincarnation and past lives, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, I have to allow for that belief within the framework of what I do, right? Because I have to respect their model of the world. So whatever they believe is, is fine, right? It doesn't matter what's true, what's what's true for them. And I have had clients that have said, I don't believe in all that past lives nonsense. And then when we're doing the techniques, right. And going back over the timeline, they go back to, you know, past lives or they go back, you know, to previous generations along their timeline and their genealogy. I personally had an experience when I was going through my training and doing these techniques of going back to before I was born, right? In the third month of my mother's pregnancy. And wow. I didn't consciously think it is, right? I just, it's just what my unconscious mind spat up, you know? And so I called my mom and I asked because I wanted to verify. I'm like, I had this weird experience, right? And, you know, is there anything that happened around sadness, you know, when you were pregnant with me? And she's like, no, nothing I can think about. And I went, that's cool because I'm doing this training and I did this technique and I went back to like the third month of the pregnancy. Did did anything happen? Does that mean anything to you? And she's like, oh my God, I totally forgot. I started bleeding in the third month and I thought I was going to lose you. Wow. And she said, if you hadn't specifically said the third month of my pregnancy, I wouldn't have even thought of it. She says, but that's, that's weird, right? And what I was working on at the time was sadness. That was my first experience of sadness, right? Apparently, if you believe in that, right, made an impression on my unconscious mind inside the womb, which, I mean, I'm connected to her, right? <laughs> so why wouldn't I feel what she's feeling? Why wouldn't that have an imp- make an impression on me? So, so yeah, I, I could all day long stories of people going back generations or past lives or, you know, whatever. And the the majority of the world believes in it. So, Hey, maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. I don't know, but it doesn't matter. Right. All that matters is at the end of the day, do we get the result? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Do we get the result? result? But first, have you ever thought about doing your own podcast? I'll tell you, if you're a business owner, you absolutely should be. There's no better way to get your name out there, to grow your network and really develop a relationship with your customers. I can tell you in the short time that I've been doing this podcast, I've already had conversations with top global influencers, Fortune 500 CEOs, and a host of other really cool people 
that I otherwise would not have had the opportunity to connect with. But you might be thinking, hey, it might be really hard to do a podcast. I don't know where to start or I just don't have time. But I'll tell you, if you work with my friends at World Class Media, they make it super easy. That's who I worked with. With their done-for-you podcast, literally, all I have to do is just record the episode and they do everything else. From end to end, including all editing and production, development of my intro and outro and music, my artwork and website, development of my show notes, and submission of my show to all the major podcasting mediums. They even created my social media cards. And they offer me coaching along the way as well to help me to become a world-class podcaster right out of the gate. So if you've ever considered starting a podcast, you owe it to yourself to talk to world-class media because I tell you it's a lot easier than you think. So just go to gregjrice.com backslash done for you to learn more about the done for you podcast service and to set up a free consultation. All right, let's hop into the show. So yeah. let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Sometimes we even know what beliefs are holding us back, but we can't change them, right? It's really hard to change our own belief system. So how, how can we do that more effectively? How can we change our frame, change our beliefs to achieve the goals that we want to achieve? Well, let's use you as an example. Right now, you literally just said, sometimes we can't change them right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So can't is an operator of possibility, right? So in your head, you're saying sometimes we can't change them. So you're already, you know, setting yourself up for failure by saying that. And then immediately on the heels of that, you said, it's hard to do that. You know, it's hard to make those changes. And so it's like, if you tell yourself it's hard, then it's going to be hard because your unconscious mind is going to take the commands you give it. And it's going to seek to make that true. And so rather than saying it's hard to do that, we should ask the question, why is it so easy to make these changes, right? How can I easily make these changes that I want to make? Because whatever it is that you tell your unconscious mind is going to go to work on. And so if you focus on what you want, right, the changes being easy and making the changes that you want to make, then you're basically giving it to your, your supercomputer and saying, find the solution. And it immediately goes to work finding the solution. And so I would say, you know, to you, you know, you said sometimes people can't make these changes. So when did you decide that? Yeah. And I haven't decided that, right? That was just the language that I chose to use. Okay. Well, there you go. So, so it's just an awareness, right? It all starts with an awareness of the things that we say and the, the, the effect that the words that we use have on our unconscious mind and our results. And so... I was listening to a training recently. I believe it was uh, it was Michael Burnoff, who's another you know guy that I, I love and I follow. He's one of my my mentors, and he was talking about the English language and how many words. Like I think we have three hundred thousand words in the English language, or something like that, right? And only about ten percent of those words actually do anything. That is, you know, thirty thousand words are action words. The rest of them are just adjectives and adverbs and, you know, descriptors, things that don't actually do anything. There's not movement inherent in the word. Mm -hmm. And of those 30,000 words, only about 10% of those are actually positive, right? And so like 97% of the language that we speak is inherently negative. And so it's interesting to consider when you think about the language that we speak and how much of the English language is inherently negative, right? That there's so much unhappiness and so much misery and so much anxiety in the world compared to other countries where 
their language is inherently more positive, you know, like Spanish, right? Or French. And you look at kind of the culture and your general kind of emotional well-being, right? Of our country speaking or English speaking countries versus the other ones who speak other languages, you know, it's like, Hmm, something to consider. There might be something to that. (laughs) Yeah. Something I've never considered before. That's opening my eyes to something new. And really the most important conversation is the one you have with yourself and the words you use are are incredibly important. Mm -hmm. Yes. And since you mentioned that, I think that that's a huge point right there that, you know, there, we think between 60,000 and 80,000 thoughts a day. And if we sleep six hours, give or take, then that equates to about one thought per second, <laughs> right? So how do we keep track of that? Because mm-hmm. our thoughts are the things that we habitually think, and 95% of those are unconscious. It's our programming. So how do we get in touch with those thoughts, right? And our feedback mechanism is our emotions, right? Because we talked about before, you know, the decision created the belief, the belief create the thoughts, and the thoughts create the feelings. And so the thoughts that we're thinking create emotions in our body and feelings in our body. And so when we're feeling something that we don't enjoy, a negative emotion, then we know that we're thinking something that's not useful, right? And so the way that I look at emotions is that when I'm feeling something I don't want to be feeling, feeling negatively, then it's because of a thought that I had. And that feeling, that sensation in my body is a kind of a waving red flag from my unconscious mind saying, hey, man, you're thinking about some bad stuff here. Pay attention, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a lot of people look at, right, the thought as being, you know, the effect rather than the cause. And the thought actually creates our emotions. And the emotions that we feel are just indicators of the types of thoughts that we're having. And so mm-hmm. if we're feeling negatively, then that just tells us that we're thinking negative thoughts. And a takeaway from that for me is that, you know, we're not defined completely by our thoughts or our emotions. You know, if I'm sad, that doesn't define me as a sad person. It's just an indicator that I'm thinking something sad. And I think that's important because I think people get really tied up in, in, in thinking that they're depressed, they're sad, they're angry, right? But those are emotions that are responsive to something and something that at the end of the day, they're choosing to be. It's just a label, right? So in, in NLP, we say a person is not their behavior. So like, you're not a sad person, you're just doing the behavior of sadness in that moment, mm-hmm. right? So that's, a, that's an important distinction to make because like we separate out the person from the behavior because the person isn't the behavior. That's just what they're doing right then. And one of the things that I say is that labels are limitations. And any time you label something, you're therefore restricting it because then that's the only thing that it can be to you, right? You're eliminating all other possibilities. You've decided that's what that means because that's the label you gave it and it can never mean anything else. Right. Mm-hmm. And so one of the, the examples that I use to illustrate this is violence. Right. Like, and when I say violence, I'm talking about physical violence. And most people have a visceral reaction to that. Right. It, you've got a response. And so if you're in the grocery store and somebody, you know, reaches in front of you to grab the National Enquirer off the shelf at the checkout, you know, like, stabbing them in the back isn't an appropriate response to that, right? Like (laughs) violence in that context, that, yeah, so you're laughing, right? It's not appropriate. You're going, what, are you crazy? But 
if you're at home and somebody kicks in your door at two o'clock in the morning, violence is an extremely useful and appropriate response in that context. Mm-hmm. And so behavior, there is no behavior that's inherently good, inherently bad, always good, always bad. It's always the context that it appears. And so if the behavior itself, right, as long as it's legal, ethical, moral, and doesn't deprive anyone else of life, liberty, or property, right, I say it's fair game. And the only thing to concern ourselves with is, does that behavior get us closer to our desired objective or further away? That's the only thing that matters. Does that behavior get us the result we want, legally, ethically, morally, not harming anyone or anything, right? It's, it's so not labeling things because labels are limitations. Being willing to do whatever it takes to get that result. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. One more topic I wanted to dive into here, and it's something we talked about previously around peripheral vision, right? Uh, And and how we can leverage peripheral vision to understand others better, but also to drive better connection. And I guess, in essence, leverage their peripheral vision, right? To drive better connection. So talk a little bit about that. So to talk about peripheral, we got to talk about foveal, right? So foveal is your cone of focus right in front of you. And there's about, you know, they say 40 million bits of information that's coming at us at any given moment. And we can only consciously process a very small amount of that. Mm -hmm. And so what we're consciously focused on, that's what our conscious mind is processing, Mm -hmm. right? And everything else is just in it. Our unconscious mind is processing that in the peripheral. It's all going in, right? Everything that we're sensing, it's all going in. We're just not consciously aware of it. And so being able to tap into that, you know, the peripheral vision, you can tap into the power of the unconscious mind. And so that's actually uh, a technique that we learn. It's called learning state, right? And so basically the way that you do it is you, you elevate your gaze slightly and you just focus on a point like out there against the wall in the distance, right? And then you can hold your hands up to the sides and just wiggle your fingers, right? Until you can just bring your hands out and further back gradually until you can't see them anymore, right? Mm -hmm. And so what that does is it expands your peripheral vision and brings it into your awareness, right? Mm -hmm. If you can consciously focus on your peripheral vision, right? Consciously expand your awareness out to the peripheral, then you have access to more of your unconscious mind's power. And there's a, there's a principle called state-dependent memory where if you consciously enter into learning state and you're learning information in that state, then when you get back in that state, you can more easily recall the information that you learned while you're in the state. And so mm-hmm. it's, it, it allows you to harness the power, some of the power of the unconscious mind intentionally and consciously so you can get better results. And another very interesting factor or another interesting uh, quality of the learning state is that you cannot maintain a negative state when you're in the learning state. So learning state is, you know, inherently a positive state. And since you can't have a positive and a negative exist simultaneously, right, by consciously putting yourself into a positive state, you're eliminating any potential negative states at the same time. And so you accomplish several things by intentionally utilizing learning state. Um, and again, you know, like if, if that description wasn't clear enough, just Google it. <laughs> and I guarantee you'll, you'll find it. Just Google NLP learning state and you'll find it. And that is a gangster uh, mind hack right there. 
Love that. The other side of that coin is that we are also in other people's peripherals, right? We're in the same room with them and communicating with them. And their mind is taking in everything that we do, mostly unconsciously, somewhat consciously. How can we leverage that to, you know, drive better connection and understanding in the moment? Well, I think just the awareness that that is true is important because it causes us to be more intentional about our behavior, right? And more present to what we're doing in the moment. And so, yeah, like all of that information is going into someone's unconscious mind, whether they're aware of it or not. And that's going to affect how they feel about you too, you know, based on how you're behaving and what you're doing. And so just being conscious of that, you know, so you're not like, you know, flipping them the bird when they're not looking or anything like that, right? Because they, they might know, right? They might not know that they know, but they know. So yeah, and uh, I, I think what you might be talking about is one of my, uh, one of my like, most ninja rapport tips is uh, breath, right? Like matching your breath with another person. And they, they talk about this in like, you know, tantric sex and yoga and deepening relationships and all that stuff. Um, so matching your breath and breathing with another person is like massively powerful. And if you're sitting in a room with a person, your significant other, for example, and she's on her couch reading the book and you're on your couch reading the book and you just out of the corner of your eye observe her breathing and match your breath to hers, it will develop a deeper level of rapport, you know, and there will increase the affinity and the attraction, um, even outside of, of their awareness. And as I'm talking to clients, that's another thing too. And this is for, in, in a sales application, you can match your breathing to your, you know, counterpart in the conversation, because you know, if they're talking, they're breathing out. And when they pause, they're breathing in. And so as you're sitting there talking to somebody, as they're talking, if you breathe out and as they take a breath, you breathe in, that's another way to increase and deepen the rapport, right? To, to achieve a better result. So now I, and I'll go ahead and add the caveat that I am only offering these tips to be used ethically, legally, and morally, and not to take advantage of anybody because, I mean, they, they are extremely powerful. 100%. My audience is full of only do-gooders and folks who will use it for the power of good, for sure. Well, that's good. That, I love that. Absolutely. <laughs> but, but thanks for sharing that. that. I think that that's really powerful. So last couple of questions, and these I like to ask everybody who I bring on the show. So yeah. the first one is around the power of conversations. Mm-hmm. And I love to ask folks if, if there's one conversation they can point to in their lives that had a really meaningful impact on the path that they ended up taking. I think it it probably is the conversation of that army ranger 16 years ago who told me, Hey man, you know, it's like, I like you, you're smart, you're passionate, but you got to get your stuff under control, man. You you, you can't keep going down these, you know, with the whole road rage thing. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. somebody cuts you off, you get upset, you know, it's like, they got you. They got control of you. You're giving them control of your internal state. They don't even know you exist. But there they are, right? They're controlling your your emotions. And he was the guy that told me about NLP like mm-hmm. 16 years ago. And so that that was probably one of the most impactful conversations because that was, you know, right where my head went. Like, boom, okay. That opened my eyes to a whole other like world that I didn't even know existed before that. 
Yeah. If you give them your emotional state, you give them control of you. Right. It, um, yeah. And and I think a lot of folks don't realize that. I certainly don't always realize that in the moment, um, <laughs> but it's helpful to remember. So uh, yeah. uh, second question, as you're thinking about your journey to date and kind of everything that you've accomplished, if there's one communication skill you could have had in more abundance that would have made it all a lot easier, what would that have been? One communication skill? I don't know that I could really drill down to one specific aspect of communication, but just the ability to read body language, I think is massive because, mm-hmm. you know, like we, I think we said before, 55% of communication is nonverbal. It's physiological, right? 38% is tonal and only 7% is the words we use. So the ability to observe and understand body language, and I've used that knowledge and sales conversations with clients and interpersonal conversations with friends and family on, on dates, right, with women, where I can tell based on their body language how, what their level of interest is, right? So, and it's, it makes people watching a heck of a lot more fun because <laughs> <laughs> you can literally sit there and just watch a couple or, or watch, you know, a group of people and you can tell who's the alpha, who are the followers, what's going on, what's the tone of the conversation. I mean, you can tell so much from just observing body language. So I would say that, that probably more than anything is the number one skill, I think, is just observing, understanding, calibrating on body language because you get so much information unintentionally, even when you're trying to control it, right? Even when you're trying to control it, deception experts call it leakage. Because there's so much going on, you can't control all the aspects of it. So even if they're intentionally trying to deceive you, you're still going to know because they can't control all the things. So get studying that body language. And I'm, I'm motivated to go dig into it right now. <laughs> you know, awesome. I've been digging into it, but I want to become an expert at it. I think it's really powerful. It's um, just, I, I'm fascinated by it. So it makes it easy for me, right? Because I enjoy studying it. So. Yeah. Yeah. So last question, who is the best communicator that you know, either know of or know personally? And, and why do you say that about them? Best communicator? I, I mean, I would say probably Tony Robbins, honestly. Mm, he's a powerful one, no doubt. He, he, well, he's been doing this stuff, you know, for 40 plus years, right? And he worked with, you know, one of the founders of NLP, and so, I mean, this, he, like, he is so like deep in the work and has been so influential in it that, um, and just watching him, you know, in the way that he does what he does and understanding, right. The different layers of the techniques and the things that he's doing and all of the, like the languaging and the way that he's, you know, intentionally utilizing all of that. It's like, it, it's, it's like this, this tsunami of, you know, just influences just like, boom, hitting you and you can't resist it. You know? <laughs> so I, I, I mean, Tony Robbins, hands down, one of the most powerful communicators that just springs right to mind. Yeah, definitely agree with that. Definitely. So to finish up, where can folks find you at? Um, where can they learn more about what you do and, and reach out if they think you might be able to help, help them? I think the best place right now, I just started a new Facebook group. Uh, It's called Mindset Mastery for Entrepreneurs. And it's focused on all of the, you know, the stuff that we're talking about here, right? The three pillars of success, which are clarity, 
right? Got to know where you're going. Otherwise you'll end up someplace else. Uh, certainty, right? Removing all the limiting thinking and the limiting beliefs so we can program our minds for success. And then consistency, right? Just doing the things every single day that we need to do to get to where we want to go. And so inside of that Facebook group, there will be trainings and units and information and, you know, daily inspiration and mindset stuff. So it's like, yeah, like give me a year of your time and you will come out the other side a completely different person. I guarantee you that. I love it. I'm definitely going to go check that out and, and awesome. recommend that the audience does as well. I think there'll be some really powerful stuff there. Yep, absolutely. So overall, man, thank you so much for your time. I think this was a really uh, powerful conversation and a ton of tips that the audience can leverage to become better communicators, to better un understand themselves and, and overcome their own limiting beliefs. So thank you. Absolutely. My pleasure. I, I enjoyed it, man. Look forward to the next one. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Thanks a lot, Aaron. All right. Thanks, Greg. Don't let the momentum stop now. Continue your path towards connecting at another level by joining the Communication Nation. We'll be discussing today's topics as well as more real-world solutions to transforming your life personally and professionally at facebook.com slash groups slash join the Communication Nation. Remember, you're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and life. And that conversation starts right here on The Art of Communication.